All right, you can start by turning to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. What I want to do today is give you a little missions challenge. I think we need some exhortation in why we do what we do. Why should we do what we're supposed to be doing? Uh, obviously, uh, we need a little exhortation here after looking at the uh, financial what are the, the financial quarterly report that we heard last week was down from what it should be, what was budgeted. And uh, so what I want to do is give you some reasons why you should be involved in missions. And, and to, to missions, you could add evangelism, discipleship. These are, these are all reasons why we, we should be doing what God wants us to do. We have a huge challenge today. Huge challenge today. I've given you a little graph up here on the screen. You can just see, uh, way, going way back to uh, the time of the Universal Flood until the year 1804, the Earth's popu- it took that long for the Earth's population to reach 1 billion. <laughs> so thousands, several thousands of years. But then it's amazing how things just multiplied since then. From the year 1804 to 1927, the figure doubled to 2 billion. Then in only 33 years, the world's population grew to 3 billion. That was in 1960. So you can see the the time gaps between the, the, the billions of people on the earth is getting shorter and shorter. And then from 1960 to 1974, that's only 14 years, the population soared to 4 billion. And then 74 to 1987, another billion souls inhabited the earth to make 5 billion. And then in the year 1999, at least that's according to the, uh, several websites I was looking at, we, we saw the earth's population reached 6 billion. And there was an interesting, uh, there's, there's like a, a world population website. You can you, you just Google it. It's interesting. You can see how many people are dying and how many people are being born and what, what the current population of the earth is. I mean, you look at the, the, the population, was it was just ticking off more than one a second. It was incredible how fast it was, it was moving. And the, the amount of deaths that are taking place on this earth was... About one every second, somebody dies on planet Earth. But the population's growing even faster than that. I don't know, it's like two or three every second, somebody's born on planet Earth. And so then we, then uh, approximately back in the year 2011, uh, the Earth reached seven billion people. And in a short period of time, it's expected that we will reach eight billion people. Uh, that was estimated by the year 2024. We'd, we're going to reach 8 billion. So we got a huge challenge. Uh, one of the statistics I also read said it's only something like 30% of the earth claims to be Christian. Only 30%. And, that, and that's the people claiming to be Christian. Of course, amongst them, many of those would not be Christians. Just because you claim to be one doesn't make you one, does it? So the, the, and of course Jesus, even way back in his day, he he understood this challenge we have because in John chapter four, here listen to what Jesus says. I, if you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. He says, "Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white 
all ready to harvest. In Matthew 13, if you're there, you can, you can see Matthew 13, verse 38. Jesus said that the field is the world. The field is the world. And so Jesus was, was explaining his parable there. And he said, as he was teaching that parable, the field in that parable is the world. And so our population on earth is increasing approximately at a rate of about 300,000 people being born every day. That's, by the way, a growth of somewhere around 110 million a year. So think of that. That's the equivalent of, of a nation like Japan coming into existence every year. That's what's going on in our world. So every year we got about 70 million souls dying. And for that, you think about that, just to give you a perspective, that's the mass of, say, China. China uh, totally ceasing to exist within 20 years. And of course, at the moment, China is the world's most populated country. And it's sad because, uh, <laughs> I love statistics, but uh, th- this one's a sad one. At present, it's, Somebody, I don't know who came up with this, but it, it was said that 96% of all Christian finances are spent on 5% of the earth's population. By the way, that's the United States. Only 5% of the population. 94, 94% of Christian workers are ministering to 5% of the world. Which, by the way, is one reason I, uh, uh, I wanted to, we, we wanted to leave the United States. Not that we couldn't have been used of God there. Of course we could have. But God laid it upon our heart to leave the United States, leave land, family, country, you know, all that that good stuff, and go somewhere else. And God led us here. We felt like uh, that's what God wanted us to do. So... Let me give you some reasons why you should be involved in missions. So hopefully, just thinking through some of those stats there, you'll you'll realize we have a huge challenge. Huge challenge. Uh, Christianity seems to be dwindling as opposed to growing. We're not actually keeping up with the, the population growth. We've got lots of people who don't even know Jesus Christ dying today. So... Let's think about what the Bible says and why we should be involved in missions. Number one, number one, obviously is because of a compelling need. Because of the compelling need. And uh, I'm not very good at uh, alliterating and that sort of thing. And uh, one of my professors came up with these C's to help me remember this. So uh, this isn't original with me. But uh, there's, there's going to be several C's we're going to look at today. So the compelling need. Like I said, people are dying at a rate of about 110 a minute. That equals to be 6,600 every hour, 160,000 people every day. That's according to current, the current website I was looking at. So somewhere near 70 million people every year are dying. So we got a compelling need. 66, it said that 66% of the world's never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. Uh, by far the uh, the most populated uh, of the 
the uh, continents today is Asia, certainly one of the greatest places of need. Uh, the statistics are also saying we got a massive problem when it comes to missionaries because missionaries, uh, certainly within the last couple decades, are retiring. Uh, but yet the, the amount of missionaries being replaced and the amount of funds going into missions and people interested in missions is, is actually dwindling. The replacements for those missionaries coming off the fields is, is not even equaling the ones who are retiring. So we've got a massive problem. We have a compelling need. But more important than that, God actually commands us. And that's the second reason why you need to be involved in missions and evangelism and discipleship is because of the command of God. We have what we often call the Great Commission is found in all of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. And so I want to show you these the Great Commission that is found in these various books of your Bible and show how they're all pointing to the same idea, the same truth, this command of God. So let's start in the first one in the New Testament, which, of course, is Matthew 28. You may be familiar with this, so if you are, try to look at this with new eyes, if that's possible. Let's start in Matthew 28. And uh, we've got here what we see, we're going to see here is the strategy of our ministry. By the way, this is for all Christians. This is not just for the apostles, for all Christians. And we know that for several reasons, because if you look at the context of Matthew 28, number one, uh, I'll just give you one reason. Because Jesus says in, in, in verse 20, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So obviously this is not just for the apostles. He's talking for all believers until Christ comes again. We are, a, we are to be about this ministry. But what is the strategy? Look at Matthew 28, verse 19. There is only one command with several participles. There are several Greek participles here. And if you have a good literal translation, hopefully they're ending in ing, the participles, all pointing to the Greek verb, the Greek command, in verse 19, look at this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love that promise Christ ends with there. As we are about His work, it's His church, we have that wonderful promise there that Christ is with us wherever we go. And He's always with us. He's promised in Hebrews He would never leave us, never forsake us. There is nowhere you can't go that He is not. He's, after all, He is God, and God is all-present, omnipresent. But did you notice the command in verse 19 is to make disciples of all nations? So that's the strategy of our ministry. That's why God has left you on this earth. You realize after you were saved, God could have taken you to heaven. You realize that, don't you? So why are you still here? Why are you still here? It's not to make money. It's not to earn a living. It's not to become a great businessman or a sports hero, or whatever, I don't know, whatever comes to your mind. It's, that's not why you're here. 
you are here to make disciples to spread Jesus' fame amongst the nations. You are to make disciples. Now, how do you do that? What's the strategy? It's, it's simple. Jesus gives us these Greek participles here to help you to know how to do that. Number one, you go. You go. Literally, that could say going. While going about the Father's business, the same business that was given to Jesus Christ, you make disciples. What's a disciple? Make disciples. Well, you've got to know what that is to know how to do it then, don't you? What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. In this case, you're a learner and a follower of a person. You're a learner and follower of Jesus Christ. And as you're learning and following Jesus, then you tell other people. Because it's not something you hoard. Because Jesus, look, he goes on to say you're to baptize the converts... In the name of the Trinity, by the way, notice its singular name, but it gives the various persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The next participle is found in verse 20. You're to teach them. What are you to teach them? Your job is to teach. That's not just a pastor or an elder's job. Every believer should be learning and teaching. All your life, learning and teaching. So you are to be teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded you. Where are you going to find that information? (laughs) Well, that's obvious, isn't it? It's in the Bible. That means you have to know the Bible, don't you? You need to know it yourself so you know what to teach others. So it's it's that's all it is. The strategy of the ministry that Jesus has given to his church is to make disciples. This great commission is found in every book of the gospel. Look at Mark chapter 16. We'll see the scope of our mission. Mark 16 gives us the scope of our mission. So we're to make disciples. Who are we to make disciples of? All right, that's the question here. Who? We're answering the who question. Look at Mark 16, 15. It says, this is uh, Jesus said to them, to the disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to just the people you like. Is that what it says? You need to have a Bible to know that that's not what it says, right? The Bible says you're to go into all the world and you proclaim this gospel. Remember, the gospel is a person person work of jesus christ and who who who's the scope of the mission all the whole creation not just your country not just your kind not just your gender not just the people whom you like it's the whole creation luke 24 gives us the substance of our message i'm going quick got a lot of ground to cover here okay So look at Luke chapter 24. And again, I want you to notice this this great commission that Jesus has given us is it's everywhere. It's not just Matthew 28. Luke 24, verse 47. Coming in this context, Jesus having his little discussion with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And here's what he says in verse 
47, he says, The repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So the substance of the message is not, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not it. The substance of our message is not, come to Jesus and He's going to make you wealthy. The substance of the message is not, come to Jesus and you will be famous and you know, wise, and you're not going to have any more problems. All, you know, you'll never get cancer. Come to Jesus so you'll never get cancer. That is not the substance of the message. Notice what Jesus says. The substance of the message is that repentance and forgiveness of your greatest problem, which is sin, should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. So again, you see the all nations being the scope of the mission. What's repentance, though? Jesus says you're to preach... By the way, even ladies can do this. <laughs> Maybe not formally or officially, but it, preach there is just kind of you're, you're a messenger of Jesus Christ, okay? But what does it mean to preach or teach repentance? You have to understand, repentance literally means a change of mind in, re, in regard to my sin. So I've been walking down this, this road of loving myself, which means sinning against a holy God. And so it means you, you must change. You no longer love your sin, you love God. You don't love yourself, you love God. So it's literally a change, a, a 180 degree turn from sin to God. So, by the way, when you're a witness for Jesus Christ, you need to do both of those. It's not, you know, you know, hold on to your sin. You, you can coddle your sin and have Jesus at the same time. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Jesus says you're to deny yourself and follow Him and take up your cross, by the way. That's how it works. It's not you get to keep your sin and, and then add Jesus you know, to your life. No. It's repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name. So that's the source, or sorry, the substance of your message. But what is the source of our mandate? Look at John 20. John 20. We sang this just a little bit a few minutes ago. The source of our mandate is found in John 20, verse 21. Look what Jesus said to them. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what is the source of the mandate? What's the source, the, the, the foundation of this command? Where's it coming from? Ultimately, it's coming from God the Father. He's given the mission to His Son. And Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, has given his, this mission to you. All believers have this, this mission. So Jesus is sending us. And that's encouraging because, <laughs> I don't know about you, uh, if, if it was just about me, only me, man, that's, man, that is incredibly discouraging. 
But the head of his church has, has given me, me and us corporately this, this mission, this command, and so I'm not alone. And besides that, he's given me the Holy Spirit, and all believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them, if you're a true believer. And so you're never really alone. You're not powerless. You're not without authority. As we think about power and authority, let's look at Acts chapter 1, because here we, we, we can see the strength of the manpower. Where's the strength of the manpower coming from? Acts chapter 1, this is right before Jesus ascends to heaven. Acts 1 verse 8 is kind of like a theme verse for the entire book of Acts. And here's what Jesus says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, there's a number of things we can learn from Acts 1.8, but notice where the strength comes from. It's not about you. It's God working through you. Because after all, what did Jesus say? You must abide in the vine. You must stay connected to Jesus Christ. He's the vine. You're just a branch. And a a branch can't bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine because without Jesus, you can do nothing. But then on the other hand, according to Philippians, with Jesus, you can do nothing whatever he wants you to do. So the strength of the manpower comes from the Holy Spirit. But notice these various regions we find in Acts 1.8. You're to be a witness. Well, let's just think about a witness for a moment. What does a witness do? Any of you ever been called up to be a witness? Or uh, called up to jury duty? <laughs> Any of you ever done that? Oh, that I haven't done it myself. But it's kind of obvious. We, we, we know what a witness is, right? If you're ever to be a witness in a court setting, you, what are you to do? You're to talk about what you've either seen or heard. You're supposed to know some information that is important to that, uh, that, that court setting there. Either you've seen a crime committed or you've, you've heard some, something that's valuable information to that setting. Well, hopefully, we as believers know Jesus Christ. We've seen Him. We've heard Him. We know Him so we can be accurate, faithful witnesses. But notice it starts where you are. For them, they were in Jerusalem. The disciples were in Jerusalem at this time. So it starts where you are, but it is to spread out. It spread For them, it spread to the region where Jerusalem lied, which was Judea. Samaria was a place that, that the Jews didn't like. It was that region just north of Judea. Smack dab in between Galilee and, and Judea was Samaria. They didn't like them because they weren't pure-blooded Jews. The Samaritans had intermarried after the Assyrians conquered Samaria in 722 B.C. They, they sent in the Gentiles to intermarry with the Jews, and that's therefore why you have the story of the Good Samaritan. It was a slap in the face for anybody who was a Jew because they didn't like the Samaritans. They weren't pure-blooded Jews. So we're to go to other regions, even places you may not like. 
unless that you think, well, then uh, is there any place on earth where I am not supposed to go? Notice Jesus says the end of the earth. He ends verse 8 as saying the end of the earth. Everywhere on earth is game, if you will. Everywhere on earth is to be where I am about to be. I am to be about the, the, the work of Jesus Christ. So we've seen the, the strategy of our ministry, the scope of our mission, the substance of our message, the source of our mandate comes from God, the strength of our manpower coming from the Holy Spirit. So you look at this, we see a clear command of God. It's not an option. It is not an option. You, you can't say, well, we don't have the money, or this is impossible. I mean, there, there's far more people dying than... than <laughs> You know, then, then we can possibly keep up with. This is just impossible. I will, I will remind you in the book of Acts, they started at small beginnings, but the gospel spread to the Roman Empire, even into Caesar's household within 30 years, all before the time of modern technology. We are without excuse. So, this is a command from God. It is, this isn't so much a call from God as a command. It's not an option. Some people just sit around waiting for, I don't know, God to send them some kind of a heavenly message to bonk them up, you know, on the head and say, do this. God has already bonked you on the head, so to speak. He's given you His command. You have His Word. You don't need some vision or something else to, to say, well, you know, I, you know, when God sends me a heavenly telegram, I'll start giving to missions or I'll go be a missionary or whatever. You already have it. God's told you what to do right here. It's not an option. It's, this is for every believer. Let me give you another reason if that's not good enough for you. Third reason is the condition of mankind is exhorting us to be involved in missions, evangelism, and discipleship. What is the condition of mankind? Look at John 3, verse 18. You're all familiar with John 3, 16. We see the greatest gift ever given was God's Son, Jesus Christ. And He did that because of His great love, so that we would believe in Jesus Christ, not perish, but have eternal life. But do you know what two verses later says? It gives us the condition of why we need Jesus. Look at verse 18, John 3.18. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because, why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So why is there a need for missions? Because people are condemned. The world stands condemned. They are born into sin, the Bible says. They are enemies of God. And God is seeking to reconcile His enemies to Himself. And He does that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's where people are. There is a heresy out there. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where it's coming from. Maybe from the universalists who, who believe eventually everybody goes to heaven. But anyway, the, there's this belief that everybody is a child of God. 
That's not true. Everybody's not a child of God. You're born a child of the devil, Jesus says. Read John chapter 9. Because Jesus told, when he was, he was talking to, to, to people there in John 9, he said, you are of your father the devil. That's your father. That's the father you're born with, spiritually speaking. And that makes you God's enemy. So you stand condemned. And so your only hope then, according to, to the, the passage here, is you must believe in Jesus Christ to no longer be condemned. John, John or Jesus says a little bit later in John 14, you're familiar with that one, aren't you? John 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's the way. He is the way, the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only hope that anybody has is Jesus Christ. So it's not, you know, there's this another heresy out there where God's kind of whatever God you want to make him to be. You can fashion him in your own mind. It's called idolatry. You know, he's up on this mountain somewhere. You know, there's all these roads leading up to God. And it doesn't really matter what road you take. You know, eventually you'll get to God. That's heresy. Jesus says he's the only way. You cannot get to God except through him. In Acts 4, it says, There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And so it's Jesus alone, through Jesus alone. He's the only gate, the only way. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How are they going to hear without a messenger? How are people going to hear without a messenger? They're not. God has designed it this way. He's, he's put his message in this wonderful book we call the Bible. He's revealed himself, of course, generally speaking, in nature, but specially, special revelation comes through his word, and without hearing the word of God, no faith will come. So it's incumbent upon us that we share this message we call the gospel. And so here's, here's some reasons. We have an urgent need. We got a clear command of God. We got the, the condition of mankind is that mankind is born condemned before this holy God. And so these reasons, and I'll give you another one in just a moment, but it's, it's these reasons why we ought to be involved in missions, why you ought to be supporting missions, why you ought to be praying for missions. The last one I want to share with you today is this. Is a com- there is a coming judgment. There is a coming judgment. Now, there's, there's actually two different judgments. There is a judgment for unbelievers and a judgment for believers. Two different judgments. The, the, the judgment for the unbelievers is, according to Revelation, called a great white throne judgment. The judgment for believers we call the, the bema, or the judgment seat of Christ. So let's just look at some scriptures here that uh, talk about the coming judgment. Let's start in Romans 14. Romans 14. In the context, the Apostle Paul is talking about we got to be careful to not pass judgment on other believers. 
We've got to be very careful about judgmentalism. And one of the reasons Paul gives is, is this verse here. Look at verse 12, because he says there is a coming judgment for believers. Look at ver, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. He says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So in the context, it's you're not the one giving the judgment. That's not your responsibility. That's God's responsibility. He's going to bring to light what everyone does, what everyone thinks, what everyone says. It's, that's His responsibility. He will judge accordingly. Well, that's not the only place you can find out about this judgment. You see it elaborated a bit more in the book of Corinthians. So let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Get a bit more detail of this judgment. Second Corinthians five, look at verse ten. Make sure you're in Second Corinthians. Verse ten says, For we must all appear. Who who's the we, by the way? The context reveals it to be the Christians. He's writing to a church. Church is made of believers. So he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, <laughs> because of that truth, you always ask the question, What is it there for? Because of that truth, what are we to do? Verse 11 says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So there is a judgment, specifically the judgment seat of Christ for believers. My friend, if you're a believer, you will stand before this judge one day. Unlike our court system, where if you get called up to be a a part of the jury, you can't say, well, you know, I'm sorry, i got to work, or... You, know, you, you can't get out of this like sometimes you can in our jury system. When Jesus calls you, you will stand before the judge of the universe. And this judge doesn't need a jury because he knows everything. He knows everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've ever thought. Everywhere you've been, every internet pornography you've looked at, every evil word swear word you've ever said, every time you've taken his name in vain, every good thing you've ever done, by the way, as well. All right, Everything good you've ever said, he knows that as well. And you will answer before him. It's not a time of the judgment of sin, though, I will remind you. That's not what it's about, because according to Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not a time of condemnation. The judgment seat of Christ is a time of reward. So all the good that you've ever done, and the only reason you can do any good is because of God's grace, but whatever good you've done through God's grace will be rewarded. There is a coming judgment, and we see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Verse 12. 
gives us a little bit more light on this coming judgment. It says in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's the first category of building materials. Look at the second category of building materials here. We have wood, hay, straw in the second category. Look what happens with these different categories of building materials. You ask me, what would you like your house to be built out of? Right? Verse 13 says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. That, that day there's that day of judgment. That day, Jesus will disclose it, and, and He says, Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Notice it's about reward. Okay? You will receive reward if, if it's built on the foundation of the gold, silver, and precious stones. However, if it's on a foundation of wood, hay, and stubble, or straw, look at verse 15 says, if anyone's work is burned up by this fire, this judgment, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we got two categories you can build your life on. So my friends, I ask you, what is your life being built on? Hopefully, number one, it's on the rock, Jesus Christ. But is your life, when, when your life comes to an end, and you, if you're a believer, you will stand before the judge of the universe one day, what are you going to show for your life? Is it going to be in that category of the wood, hay, and straw? Which, you know what happens with that when you throw it in a fire, right? You throw that in a fire, it's burned up rather quickly, and what are you left with? Not much. A little bit of ash. But if you throw gold, silver, and precious stones in a fire, what, what are you left with? You still have something left, don't you? In fact, if, if it's not pure gold, for example, what happens is the fire actually purifies that gold, makes it even better than it was when it started. And so you're still, you're, you're left with something. You're left with something of incredible value. And so my exhortation to you is don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Build it on Jesus Christ and His gospel. The cause of Christ is the only way, my friend, that you can not waste your life. So there is a coming judgment. We've seen the condition of mankind. The command of God is crystal clear. And of course, mankind is in great urgency. There is a huge need so for those reasons, my friend, you and I must be about the Father's business. We must be involved in missions. But let me conclude with some quick application for you. Because someone here might be saying this, how can I respond to this message? How can you respond? Well, four ways. Here's four things. Four just simple, quick things you can do to respond to God's Word today. Number one, some of us need to go. Well, we all need to go in one way or another, because remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? He said, go and make disciples. That, that's every one of us. Now, where that going takes us will 
well, that's different. For some of you, it's just going, I, I've, I've heard some of you, some of you, it's just going down to the, to the dairy or the nearby takeaways or the grocery store or a neighbor, right? It doesn't have to be around the world. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to take long. But as we go about our business, whatever that business is, we need to remember our main business is making disciples. So you go, and by the way, when Paul heard the Macedonian call, Macedonia is up in that north of Greece region there, his immediate response, according to Acts chapter 16, was to go. It's an appropriate response, because we see that anybody who, who, whom God calls to do something, the appropriate response is to immediately obey. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6, for example, when Isaiah saw God and he saw himself as God saw him, he saw his fellow Israelites, what was his response? His response was, as he, he said to God, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. That's the appropriate response. Now, most of you are not going to go to the Solomon Islands or Africa or Asia or wherever that might be, right? That, that's not what God has for most of you. But your, your, your heart should be at least willing to do whatever God wants you to do. Go wherever He wants you to go. We just sang that song earlier. By the way, that was written, part of that song was written by a missionary named David Livingston, who traveled throughout Africa and opened up the way in Africa for missions. So you need to go. Number two, you can pray for missions and missionaries and pray for evangelism and discipleship and the making of disciples. You may not be able to, to, to do all those things, but at least you can pray. That's what Jesus said to do. The, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. It's, it's white. Uh, it's, all, it's, it's all ready for the harvest. And Jesus told us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest field. That's a command. And number three, you can pay for missions. Notice they're all P's, well, for, except for the first one. So you can pay. You may not have a lot of money, but you can still do something. Okay, none of us are rich, but we can still do something. I mean, even, uh, you know, my wife and I, we try to teach our children missions is important. You may not have a full-time job, but you can still do something. In fact, I used to take them out on rubbish day, and we'd walk around the neighborhood picking up the the cans out of people's recycle bins, whoever would have let us do that. We'd go around picking up the tin cans out of the recycle bins and take them and get a little bit of money for those. And that was all, the, the whole purpose of that was to teach the children th- to, to give to missions. And they were excited to, to get up early and go, go collect other people's smelly rubbish. All for the purpose so we can give a few dollars for the Solomon Islands. That's why they were doing that. Now, I hope they catch that vision. It certainly wasn't for my purposes. That's not why I was doing it. And so it doesn't matter what your age is necessarily, unless you're a baby, right? But you, you can do something, and you should do something. And let me encourage you to, uh, to challenge yourself to do more. We've recently, we, we've challenged ourselves. We're giving more than we've done, uh, in the past. Which concerns me, by the way. If, if the giving's dropped off and we're doing more, 
that tells me some of you are not doing anything for missions or some of you have, have dropped off what you were doing. Let's not drop off. We, let's pray that God would increase. The time is near, the Bible says. We don't know how much longer we have. We need to be doing what we can while that time remains. And the last thing is, at least those of you who have families or one day will have families, you can produce missionaries. You can do what you can to produce missionaries. Produce uh, whatever it takes for missions. Okay, you, you can do that in your family. Encourage your, your children, those of you who, who have children, those of you who have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, encourage them to be involved in missions. You often get what you, what you encourage, don't you? And so if you're, if you're unfortunately, even some Christian parents are encouraging their, their children, you know, become a sports star or become a, a doctor or, I don't know, whatever, you know, you know, be, you know, become a CEO of a multi-million dollar company or whatever it might be. If that's what you're encouraging, you're probably going to get that. So let me encourage you as parents and grandparents, don't do that. Encourage them to, to go into ministry whatever that ministry might be, whether it's full-time, part-time. The reality is we're all full-time servants of God. And by the way, we as a church need to be concerned about producing uh, missions, being involved in missions. So we as a, a corporate entity need to be encouraging each other in that way. So we need to uh, think about that in our own setting, in our, in our network of Bible-believing churches. We're, we're striving to encourage that so that hopefully, if, you know, if God, said, if God sends someone like, uh, well, you know, someone in her own congregation, her, her own sister, right? Kirsty went. It, it's a shame that it takes somebody traveling around for months and sometimes years and years to raise the support needed to go do what God wants them to do. It shouldn't be that way shouldn't be that way. So that's one of the beauties of having a network of Bible-believing churches where we can, someone from that church says, God has called me to be a missionary to wherever, then that's that's send them on their way as soon as possible. As soon as possible, all right? So we want want to be able to have the funds necessary there to, to serve God in this way. This is the cause of Christ, my friends. Do we love Christ or not? After all, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. The part of that command is we make disciples. So you can go, you can pray, you can pay, and you can produce. So let's pray and encourage one another that we would be involved in missions and evangelism and discipleship.